0: Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. Do you have good body wisdom? Welcome to episode number 116. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Lisa. Nezneski. She's a doctor of pharmacy, a medication and supplement counselor, and a mindfulness teacher. So sit down and relax and take in this beautiful and valuable recording. Let's begin. Hello, Lisa. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kevin. Thank you so much for inviting me. How can we trust the wisdom of the body? Well,
1: you know, paying attention to your body is one of the primary tenets of mindfulness. And we, we store emotions in our body. And um, knowing that maybe what you're potentially feeling is something that you need to pay attention to. Hmm. You know, whether it be a symptom like an upset stomach or maybe a headache, you know. Here, let me tell you my story. Sure. So I ended up in an emergency room with a heart rate that went all the way down into the twenties.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's so- pa- That's pacemaker territory. <sighs> I still
1: may be a candidate that my normal heart rate is in the fifties. And so, um, I had this crushing chest pain and I'm lying on this gurney and, and it took people a while to recognize that when my heart rate was, was, uh, dropping, I was having chest pain because they're looking at the EKG was normal. The oxygen saturation was normal, but it was just the pulse that was showing up, um, as, as being abnormal. And so, uh, as I'm, I'm watching this happening and I'm watching it go from like 40 to 38 to 36 down to 30. And then finally around 30, I I looked at my significant other and I said, I don't want to miss my life. Mm. Tell the kids I love them. This could be it. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm getting ready to check out right now.
0: And how long ago was this?
1: This was just a few years ago. Um, and, and from that day I decided to really start to pay attention to everything in my life because nothing was working mm-hmm. particularly you know my health um, I got a new job I moved uh, five different times over the course of, of the next couple of years it was five times in three years is, mm-hmm. is the number of moves that I had so so you know all of those things that, that are considered to be major life stressors I had all of them I had Uh, parents pass away, I had
0: Mm. uh,
1: a move, I had, uh, my sons were married. So that was a happy event. I was divorced, not so happy event. Mm -hmm. But all of those stressors were going on more or less simultaneously.
0: Yeah, yeah universe trying to wake you up
1: (laughs) yeah it it actually did and so um when i started to question everything in my life that's how i i um started my journey of mindfulness and um the uh seven mindful questions is an outcome of of that journey
0: so you know i can identify with this um and I, I would imagine you felt a certain way, not just because your health was in jeopardy, but also because you have oodles and oodles and years and years of experience, yet you are having your own health challenges. I went through the same thing, so it's like other people are looking at you as an expert, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, I'm looking at all these degrees on your wall right now i got <laughs> I got a bunch over there too. I see them, but Sometimes we, we still, the expert gets vulnerable and this can catapult, trigger an awakening because our ego is being embarrassed, <laughs> assaulted.
1: Absolutely. And, and the problem for me was not admitting that I was in fact vulnerable. You know, I would power through. And I would work long beyond the time when I should have stopped, even just to have a break to to eat. So uh, my my body finally said, "This is enough. You need to start paying attention." So yes, um, you know I, I've lived through a number of really embarrassing, humiliating things, but um, you know it's a story of triumph, I guess. You know, moving beyond those, I I decided that I wasn't going to. Uh, let it get to me to the point where, in other words, any avenue that I could pursue for healing that I felt was benefiting me, I was definitely going to do it. So I used a number of both alternative modalities, uh, as well as traditional um, medicine to to get better. Mm.
0: And in doing this, you started teaching mindfulness and meditation, right?
1: I did. That was more or less the end point. Um, I actually started meditating in the throes of of this uh, divorce that I mentioned where uh, my ex-husband was suing me uh, in a separate lawsuit, and I was incredibly stressed out. I still had to work. I still had to function. And so, uh, one of my previous meditation teachers did a 60-day challenge, and it was give me five minutes a day for 60 days. And I thought to myself, that's what I need to do. Mm. I, I can, I can commit to five minutes and so uh, it turned out that i have not stopped meditating twice a day ever since that point Mm. so uh, it first helped me through my own personal uh crisis and putting things into perspective to be more in the moment to be more present to uh sort through all of the emotions that were coming up through that time and um you know, sitting in meditation I did get the message you need to teach this so uh, I have a background as a university professor many many years ago and early early in my career so I, I have been teaching most of my life, but uh, using um, the 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 training that I received through um, the mindfulness certification it's really interesting to watch how just simple techniques like breathing, paying attention to your breath, how it resets your nervous system. It allows the parasympathetic sympathetic parasympathetic nervous Mm -hmm. system to trigger, which relaxes you. It's the rest and digest system. So uh, watching that happen in a class, you can actually see it turn on for people, you know, you see their, their, their face becomes less tense, their jaw begins to relax, their posture becomes more in tune with um, their breathing. So it, it's, it's quite rewarding to teach it as well.
0: Any particular type of meditation you're into?
1: So I do two different types traditionally. um, I've been doing one type for many years that is more of a grounding and getting in touch with the energy that runs through your body. Um, I was trained through Psychic Horizons in Boulder, Colorado for that. And um, I want to say it's probably been 10 good long years that I've been doing that one. Uh, But the mindfulness meditation where you use uh, an anchor breath, bodily sensations or ambient sounds, I practice that every day in the morning and the uh, energy medicine in the evenings. So yes, those are the two primary types. Okay.
0: So you said you use traditional medicine. You know a lot about traditional medicine. You, I do. You're, you're a pharmacist uh, with a specialty in, in disease, right?
1: Yes. And uh, pharmacotherapy would be like the uh, internal medicine of, of the pharmacy specialist.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you know, the pharmaceutical industry very well. How, what would you say is the best way to go for someone? Pharmaceuticals, nutritional supplements, or herbal medicine, or is it a combination depending on the situation? Well,
1: you know, if you have an infection, oh, you yeah. want you want a medication for that. Yeah, you yeah. want an anti-infective of sorts. You know, um, allopathic or traditional medicine is focusing primarily on curing, or at or at least preventing a disease from getting worse. So there there isn't much on the front end in actually preventing something from happening in the first place. So there's not as much focus on nutrition or nutritional supplementation or on other modalities like herbs, essential oils, other things that have some therapeutic benefit but don't have the same profile as um, what you would see in a medication, so I think there are alternatives. This is my own personal opinion. I think there are, are alternatives in each of those areas that can be deployed uh, to to really help people heal, depending on what their body is most receptive to. Um, you know mm-hmm. there, there are certain um, snake oil salesmen out there that will just push a supplement on on someone. Um, that's not typically how i practice i use professional a professional line of supplementation that goes through the same testing that uh, a traditional drug would uh it's called good manufacturing practices so mm-hmm. uh, even the the line of essential oils uses the same good manufacturing practices that that i uh use and and recommend so um they they're you know when when i have an upset stomach i'm not going to reach for an antacid right off the bat or even an h2 blocker or you know, like a, like a Pepsi or a Zantac, I'm gonna start with a cup of tea and I'm gonna hydrate and I'm gonna see how I feel after that. So there's a progression from least invasive alternative to most invasive. Mm. And so uh, having the ability to choose what might work for you from, from the least uh, invasive, I think is
0: is important to know as well. I use my dad as an example you know the medical industry got a hold of him and so for the last 20 years you know he's 16 meds a day and you know i just even just recently i finally got him to change up the diet i got him on some supplements and all of a sudden his insulin intake came down <laughs> and you know he's he's healthier at 75 than he was at 74 And it's like, ah, okay, we got something here. But there's a fear. There's Mm -hmm. a fear to get off of the pharmaceuticals that have been keeping him going for all these, these years, right? Cholesterol meds, which some people are completely against, you know, and things like this. So, It's a tricky situation when you have someone who's on all these meds, but then they start feeling better from diet change and supplements. And then there's like a crossroad of, do I not take this med anymore and go with the natural stuff? Like, you know, it's an interesting tightrope to walk, isn't it? Well, it is,
1: and you know many people, especially someone who's been on a medication for many years, has a certain faith in in what their doctor is telling them that they're they're going to select the best uh, product for them, but that's not necessarily the case you know um, Our bodies change from what I understand every seven years, every single molecule Cell in your body gets replaced. So you're not the same person at, uh, what did you say? 75, than you mm. were at 68, you know? Right. So, um, knowing that our bodies do change there, there is value in having Every one of those medications looked at in sequence and in depth to make sure that the person still needs them, and if they do, is it the right dose right. and then if they don't, how do you safely wean off a product because there are some drugs that stick in your body for a very long period of time if they have um you know they are water soluble that that just transfer, uh, transfer out of your body very easily, but the fat soluble things tend to stick. We all carry a little fat around, Mm -hmm. you know, they tend to, to stick around in your fat tissue. And once you either start to lose weight and those drugs are being mobilized out of that fat tissue, you can actually have, you know, just still taking the same dose that you've taken for a while. You can actually have the dose of that, that becomes somewhat, um, higher than what is recommended
0: mm. just
1: by losing weight. So there, there's some really fascinating things about uh, being able to monitor someone through that process of, of change and getting off certain medications.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting point. Selenium is fat soluble. And my, my selenium in my last blood test was high normal, which is cool. I wonder if it's being stored in some of my stomach fat.
1: <laughs> it's-, it's possible. <laughs> um, uh, minerals like selenium typically are water soluble as well. So the so although some of it may be fat, you know there there's a, a a range of things. You know you've got your fat soluble, you've got your water soluble, then you've got the ones in the middle. So what we're talking about here is is something a mineral that typically will um, will in excess amounts will leave the body. So if it's a little high normal, that's a hard one to actually hit that. So um, good for you for trying to get that up. That helps your heart. That helps the uh, reproductive system. So selenium is, is good all the way around.
0: Selenium is the, the miracle mineral, some people call it. So, and then, but my copper is low normal.
1: They, they go in opposition. There is a balance between selenium and copper. Mm. Yeah.
0: Inter- interesting enough, I've I've had varicose veins, and you know premature gray hair, and then I found out that's a symptom of low copper. Yeah, so it's I possible. W- yeah. I wonder if that that's the deal. <laughs>
1: Well, yes, yes. I mean, there is, there is that balance between selenium and copper. And when the copper's low, typically the selenium might be a little higher. So yeah, it's possible that you may need to do some supplementation with copper, maybe a, a, a product that has um, a trace mineral that may have more than just the copper in it. Copper is kind of hard to find by itself. So you might find a, a trace mineral that has maybe f- four different minerals with it.
0: Yeah. And then there's the, uh, that's a, a good segue because the cofactors are involved too. And a lot of people don't understand that. And so they may run the Walgreens looking for copper, you know, uh, and there might need to be some cofactors there, you know, it's not like just taking a random B12. <laughs> all
1: right. When, well, you know, you mentioned, um, copper and, and, uh, selenium and zinc are all minerals. Um, But I think most people know about calcium, The Mm. calcium is hard to absorb. The body doesn't easily absorb that mineral. So, um, and same thing with iron, you know, using something like vitamin C along with either one of those vitamin D and, 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 and vitamin C with iron and uh, calcium, there's actually something to. Putting that mineral into a a, um, a form that the body can actually absorb. So having them in close proximity in a, in a tablet or capsule, it's not just convenience. It's that it does also make good science.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you know a lot of people think that they can get everything from the food. I don't know if we can, at least not in 2021, maybe 300 years ago. (laughs) I don't know. How important would you say dietary supplementing is?
1: Well, I think the evidence for specific agents, you know, specific, um, vitamins and minerals is clearly, um, Clearly scientifically backed. So, uh, for example, we don't get enough vitamin D, especially, um, if we're wearing sunscreens in the summer or we're living in places like Pittsburgh or Boston that don't get too many sunny days a year, um, So how important is supplementation? I typically recommend a a general multivitamin. I I think that's um, just to have a foundation of all of the various minerals, because we don't really balance our diet like like, uh, we could, you know, if you're not eating the rainbow, you're probably not getting enough vitamins and minerals just from your foods. So, um, you know, it sounds like you've got a pretty good understanding of the, um, biochemistry of how some of these things work. Uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's important to, um, if you have a particular challenge, like for example, if you have an absorption issue, uh, I I have celiac disease, so I don't absorb minerals. I don't absorb fats. I really have a hard time getting things into my body. So it's, it's knowing what your underlying challenge is and then working with that. So for, um, I find that those powdered greens are amazing for me. You know, I really feel much better using something like that. It does help. Uh, I used to criticize my mother like crazy for putting butter on our vegetables growing up. Right. Like we don't need all this. Turns out mother uh-huh. didn't know this, but um, you know, the, the, the fats that you put on to vegetables actually help the minerals get absorbed better.
0: That's right. So.
1: So um, she kind of fell into that backwards. She just liked the taste of butter, to be honest. But uh, yeah, there really was a good nutritional reason to do that.
0: And, you know, some people say, you know, have a stick of butter a day, (laughs) keep a doctor away, you know, (laughs) a grass fed butter. But this is a good segue to veganism, because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of really hardcore vegans out there who... You know, they're not going near butter. They're not going near fish. They're they're not going near any of that. I was vegan for 10 years. Okay. And my essential fatty acids went into the tank. Sure. And that raised my CRP. Right. And so that was scary. And, you know, my nature path was like, you ready to eat fish? <laughs> because that's right. where the... You know, we make the joke with vegans, where do you get your protein? Where do you get your protein? But I think it might need to be, where do you get your essential fatty acids?
1: That's a very important point that you're making here about um, that the fatty acids themselves, um, not only, you know, with the C-reactive protein that you mentioned, the CRP, um, your skin health gets uh, really... Uh, Can you can tell the difference in skin of someone who's eating essential fatty acids and someone who isn't. So uh, Mm. I agree with you. I think that's an important consideration. I think vegans that choose to live that particular lifestyle need to pay attention to not only fatty acids where they're getting their protein, but also uh, the B vitamins that Mm. typically come through uh, red meats that of course, they're not eating. So, folate and B twelve, and in fact, the methyl versions of of each of those uh, are actually um, much easier for the body to use and absorb.
0: Yeah, indeed. I had to take a B twelve supplement because mm-hmm. that was in the tank too. Yeah. So it was embarrassing because I'm I'm I I was I have a PhD in nutrition. <laughs> If I was hardcore vegan. And uh, you know, it happens. So I think you know, vegans need to really, you know, think about supplementing.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. I think that it, there are there are other um fad diets. Now, I don't know if they're, they're as nutritionally sound as some of the others, you know, there's some, some keto diets, there's some paleo keto, there's, there's all kinds of interesting things that come down, uh, year after year, there are trends, you know, there was whole 30 there for a while. And, and so, um, you know, each one of those, uh, every diet has something missing in it. So, whatever you choose to be the lifestyle and diet that you eat. If you're really concerned about that, you should pay attention
0: to what might you be missing. Why aren't medical doctors, physicians, we sh- I think I feel like we should be just calling them physicians because there's many types of doctors. Yes. Why aren't they trained in nutrition enough? Like why can't they sit there with their patient and be like, all right, we got to get your copper up and we're going to put you on this supplement. And, you know, you know what you just said about B12, you know, why don't they pass this info on to their patients?
1: I think that's a rhetorical question. I don't know that I can answer that. You know, I know that in medical school, there's a very short amount of time that they spend in teaching about nutrition. Many of the, the functional medicine practitioners who are um, physicians on their own do additional studying and training. So it's not part of the traditional medical school um, training. And it may just be that they're trying to jam so much in a short period of time. And, you know, you, you come in with no knowledge and you leave with at least the rudimentary skills to go out and treat some of the more common problems. So and that's why the you know, specialists are there as well. But um, I think that we really see the results or the, the consequences is a better word of of not teaching people about nutrition with the entire pandemic situation our country fared much worse than many others that put an emphasis on good nutrition and health prevention so it to, you know what was embarrassing for me was that why you know we, we had this false sense of of that we know what we're doing we don't know what we're doing. Clearly, yeah, sure. we weren't as good as we thought we were. So uh, hopefully there's some lessons to be learned from going through this pandemic that have to do with both the medical system and the way that, that we uh, treat patients and the way that we help them.
0: Because if we watch television for just an hour, I mean, we can count how many pharmaceutical commercials there are. Mm -hmm. it gets depressing at a certain point (laughs) because you got the guy dancing and it's like this fun imagery and then at the end it's like you know if you take this you could you know bleed out of your booty (laughs) it's like are are we really that sick is america really that sick that we need to be on so many pharmaceuticals that's a good question
1: i think there's a balance between what um what, what is necessary and what is overkill? Is it really that they're prescribing because there's a medical reason or am I going to get sued if I don't prescribe this because this is the quote standard of practice? Right. So, um, you know, is it is it per, uh, personal preventive prescription that, you know, I'm going to do this because that's the standard of practice. So I don't know it's possible.
0: Yeah. yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is there's no commercials for like, you know, copper and selenium.
1: <laughs> right. You're right about that. There, there is some you'll see, um, you know, A multi here and there. Yeah. Uh, s- some calcium supplementation, some, um, uh, garlic supplementation, you know, s- certain brand household brand names that have enough of a, um, uh, that, that are owned by larger pharmaceutical companies that have enough, uh, to be able to advertise. Those are the ones that you see, but, you know, you're not going to see a multivitamin unless it's like, you know, chocks for kids, which that's showing my age, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some, some multi that, that, that's, um, you know, not really aimed at the general populace.
0: Right. Could it be the pharmaceutical companies? They're just, they're just super rich. So they're advertising over and over and over and over. Sure.
1: That is certainly a huge part of it. And um, I think that from my experience in the, the long time being affiliated with, Uh, And working with pharmaceutical companies, they don't do anything if it doesn't have a a positive profit motive, you know? So um, yeah, they're advertising because it works. So people are asked going to their doctors and asking for whatever it is they saw on TV.
0: Mm. Interesting. But there's a younger generation that because of the internet, they may not even go to a doctor or they go to a nature path or mm-hmm. they just handle it themselves. So some, some things are changing a little bit. I think, I think so. Mindfulness has entered into the medical industry a little bit. I remember having high blood pressure many years ago and my doctor being like, Oh, you know, you might want to look into mindfulness. And I'm like, you know about mindfulness? They didn't teach you that in med school. Like, no, but you know, you might want to try. <laughs> I mean, so many people could benefit from, from mindfulness if it was integrated into the system. Can you see a day when it gets integrated into the medical system? They're going to have to change at some point, aren't they not?
1: Well, Yes. Um, I I think it's actually going to start in the schools. There are a number of of the um, colleagues that went through the training program with me were um, school teachers of sorts, you know, school teachers, school administrators, and beginning at a younger age, uh, having children understand how to manage their emotions, how to... um, be able to self-regulate the emotions, how to calm down, how to behave in a stressful situation. Um, and as they grow with that, it will make an impact on the medical system for sure. So um, there, you know, the mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is a, an offering that many psychologists have is, is mainstream now. You know, uh, back 20, 25 years ago, when John Kabat-Zinn and the group up in Harvard had brought that from, from the, the Southeast Asia to the US, they were the pioneers. They gave them a little hole in the basement to practice, and they started to see results. And that's really what's interesting to me is the, the, the studies that are being done. Uh, recently, I read something about um, a study done on loving kindness, Loving kindness is sending um, positive thoughts to uh, someone that you might know, uh, someone that you don't know at all. Um, It can be a beloved person. And maybe uh, a spouse, someone that you've had difficulty with. So there's four or five groups of people that you you doing this practice of sending lo- uh, loving kindness, you know, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you, uh, no harm come to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It is very much like a prayer. And uh, so they took uh, uh, meditation naive people and there were three groups. There was a control group. There was a group that practiced traditional mindfulness with an anchor of breath, um, bodily sensations or ambient sounds. And the third group practiced loving kindness. And what they measured as a result were the length of the telomeres, which are the end caps of the DNA. Mm -hmm. And so the uh, loving kindness slows your aging that was the results of the study. So I can certainly send that to you if you're interested, but it was the, the most profound uh, change, you know, sti- statistically significant, all the variables that we look for in a, in a good study. It had a control group, it had, you know, options. So um, yeah, it, it, was, it seemed to be very well-organized study and the results were profound. So, uh, so lo- practicing loving kindness, praying for people, Helps you slow down your aging.
0: This is like epigenetics.
1: Yes, that's exactly what it is.
0: Yeah. We we have so much power with this mind. It, it's 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 our greatest gift and our greatest enemy. And we have to decide if it's going to be the gift of the enemy somewhere in our life. Because it can take somebody down, 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 and it can raise somebody up, up, up. How would you best slow down thoughts? What's the best practice to slow down thoughts?
1: So your brain is always going to secrete thoughts, just like your mouth secretes saliva. So you're all, Mm. you know, that's its function. But um, recognizing that you're having a thought and naming it like, oh, this is thinking, thinking, that takes the charge off of it. Naming the, the thought actually takes the charge off of it. And so there's a number of different ways that you can approach thoughts that happen during a meditation session. So um, you can welcome them in like they're a welcome visitor. In other words, you know, you're, you're mentally opening your door, asking them to come in and have a seat. You can uh, use a figure eight in your breathing. So on the inhale, you rise to the top of the eight and then the exhale back down. So just focusing on your breath, going in a figure eight will bring you back uh, from thinking. Naming is another way, like I said, you know, oh, this is a thought, this is a thought. You don't have to follow that thought. We're used to following thoughts, but you don't have to.
0: It's a choice. Can we be specific with naming the thought? Oh, absolutely. I heard one master say, I think he got it from the Buddha himself. I think it's a Vipassana technique where you actually label it. So if you hear a car, you say, oh, it's the car, it's car. If you have a thought of fear, you say, oh, that's fear, fear.
1: Yes, exactly. The more specific that you can be, um, it, it, it sort of puts it into perspective where you don't necessarily have to follow that thought you know, just allow it to pass, pass on. You know, a lot of people talk about the sitting on the bank of the river and watch the thought flow down the river. Mine always flow from right to left. I don't know what that means yet, but that my, my thoughts, my leaves on the, on the river flow from right to left. So I have this mental image of it just flowing off. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, maybe some of your listeners don't remember the cartoons where, you know, wavy lines would happen, you know, when when they did a flashback. So sometimes when you actually name it, my thoughts will do the wavy line thing and just sort of dissipate and follow, uh, flow away. What I tell my students is that if it's really an important thought, you will think it again. You don't need to worry about stopping your meditation to go and handle something. If you're in meditation for the experience, have the experience and at the next right time, that thought will come back
0: to you. Mm. What if it's a negative thought? Mm -hmm. Could that be a red flag to perhaps cleanse an emotion of some kind?
1: Oh, clearly. Yeah, a negative thought. Um, You know, you can ask yourself, is this true? Hmm. Where you can sit with that thought and say, "Where do you live in my body, and what do you need right now?" That's sort of a rain technique of investigating where it is. Uh, rain being recognized, allow, investigate, nurture, uh, which is another type of of mindfulness uh, investigation of emotion.
0: Say so that's like inner child stuff or uh, reparenting.
1: It could be. It yeah. could be. Yes. So, yeah. There's a number of ways to think of it. Yeah um that particular technique i was taught by tara brock um so she she recommends rain uh or even having a rain partner that helps you process whatever that emotion is by asking you those questions giving you a period of time to just sort of investigate and and allow that emotion and feeling to occur and then when you get to the nurture part of it that's where the inner parenting comes from, where it's like, what do you need right now? What can I provide for you? You're okay. You know? Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I I think all of those are, are all valid techniques.
0: Yeah. It's helped me quite a bit. First and foremost, you have to watch. That's the whole, that's the crux of the whole thing. Some people do not understand that at all you say oh you got to watch your thoughts and emotions they're like watch my thoughts and emotions how can i watch my thoughts and emotions because they're caught in the dream like they're they're caught on that river and they're just going down exactly And and they're helping paddle right and so what we're doing you i and everyone else who practices mindfulness is we're watching actually watchfulness is probably a better term, but uh, my, I I
1: use awareness.
0: Yeah. Awareness is the ultimate term. I think Mm -hmm. when we have awareness of our thoughts and our emotions, then we can do something about it. We can. And you know, that, that really is
1: the very first question of the seven mindful questions. What am I doing right now? You know, when you're, you're, you're kind of caught in, in a highly emotionally charged situation, you know, you've got to get some things done. You just break that, that uh, cycle by saying, what am I doing right now? What is it that I'm doing? You know, investigating it. And why am I doing this? Is there a reason behind it? So it's awareness and because. And then finally, do I care about this? Is this mm. really something I care about. So that's the ABC, the first three questions. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why do I care about this? And then it's pause and breathe. So that's the middle section of the seven mindful questions that resets your nervous system and gives you that space when you're breathing for something better to come in. And then the last three questions have to do with choosing a better alternative. Mm. So bringing your actions in line with your personal core values so that you really are just working on what's important to you and the rest of it sort of falls away. So that that's the seven mindful questions
0: in a nutshell. And what are specifically five, six, and seven or six, seven. Okay. Eight.
1: So pause and breathe. What, what is essential? That's, that's four. Then um, choose what is it that I should be doing? You know, the choice is, question number five is really the emotional heart of the seven mindful questions where when you're making these choices, it's how am I feeling about those choices? So choose better, what is better for me to do right now? And what is the best alternative? So those are the last uh, three of the seven questions.
0: So if someone was experiencing, let's say fear. Yes. When they got to that question, it would be, well, what can I do better than just sit here and dwell on the fear? Yes, exactly.
1: Call a friend or
0: Mm motor on or whatever. Yeah.
1: Right. So uh, some of that, what you're talking about is having the resources, you know, choices to, to move beyond whatever that particular emotional situation Uh, that doesn't come in the first time you do the seven questions. It's, it's a practice just like other mindfulness practices. And it, the more you practice, the better you get at at using those techniques Mm. and having the resources to, to pull yourself further along.
0: Fear is a big one. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people out there with anxiety. Do you?
1: Right. Right. So anxiety is, is thoughts in the future depressions are thoughts in the past. Right. right? Mm. So anxiety, thoughts, in the future, if you pull yourself, what am I doing right now, you are in the present. Mm -hmm. And that's where life is, rather than at some point in the future. So that's really what what um, helps me in particular, because I run these questions like all day long, and and uh, use them in many different ways to plan, plan quarters, plan a week, plan a day, plan what I'm doing right now. So um, yeah,
0: is it safe to say that your life has completely changed since the, this practice? Oh, my goodness. Um,
1: you would not recognize me. So not the fact that, my, you know, uh, my hair is shorter and, and I'm 60 pounds less. Um, you know, I, I, I live a completely different lifestyle right now you know, much more in tuned to what my body needs, feeding my body appropriately, uh, hydrating. You know, there, there are some really basic self-care things that I practice all the time. And one of them is is making sure that that I'm high, well hydrated, that I'm eating appropriately, that I'm exercising. Paying attention to sleep is so important. So I don't really care that people think that I'm a geriatric if I go to bed at 8.30 every night. I just mm. don't care. My body needs that. And, and then the last one that we don't think about is unplugging from devices.
0: Mm, That's yes. Yes.
1: So at a certain point at night, the devices go off and I'm reading a book and then I'm meditating and then I'm off to dreamland. So yeah. uh, Sleep hygiene is so important. So important for our, our overall health.
0: Any other sleep tips?
1: Yes. Try to make your um, routine to go to bed uh, somewhat fixed. So you do have habits. Create a habit around how you go to bed at night at a certain time. You know the, the TV, the devices go off. You go up to bed. You either take your bath or whatever you do. You know uh, to prepare for bed, wash your face, brush your teeth. Those kinds of things done consistently and then um, have something to help you wind down, whether it's reading or listening to music, listening to a podcast, something where you can just really just wind down. For me, it's it's an energy-based meditation where I run energy through my body and get rid of what extra I didn't need from the day. And then, as I said, I'll just drift right off after that.
0: How long is that meditation? (sighs)
1: Um, they're typically anywhere between 20, 25 minutes to 45, 45 is the longest. Um, I'm wow. usually asleep by 20 minutes. So,
0: okay. So you, so the meditation leads right to sleep.
1: Exactly. Mm. sleep is what one of my teachers used to call it and said, it's fine. Your body needed that. So if you fall asleep during meditation, that's fine.
0: I like to keep the room cold too. Okay. Yeah, sleep sleep is a thing. I, uh, you know, anyone that's ever pulled an all nighter before knows what it's like the next day. Yeah, um, you know,
1: occasionally I'll get um, pains in my hips and my shoulders, and I just cannot get comfortable lying down. And there was a a spot at the end of July where I went like forty eight hours with no sleep, Mm. and that triggered an autoimmune flare up, Mm. and that triggered you know so it just is a cascade of events that um yeah today's the first day i really feel pretty good after you know it's probably been about a
0: month yeah so yeah two two nights with no sleep huh i've been there mm-hmm. i've been there it's one it's a dazed feeling
1: yeah it is um i i won't do any high I, I do a lot of analysis and computations for my day job. So I, um, I just won't do that, you know, cause I, I know I'll be making mistakes and I'll have to redo it anyway. So um, you know, I, I do have the luxury of being able to plan my own schedule and work from home. So not many people can do that, but um, yeah, I'm very grateful for that opportunity because it has helped my healing process move forward because I'm able to gauge how it is that I'm feeling in the moment and then make
0: adjustments. The thing with no sleep is that the mind messes with you too. And so thank goodness for mindfulness, I guess, because if one doesn't have the practice of mindfulness, then that those thoughts can really mess with you. And there could be fear based on, oh, what if I don't sleep for a third night? What if I don't? <laughs> so sleep, true. What if I don't sleep for a fourth night? Am I an insomniac now? What does this mean? Do I need medicine? What you know? What happens? And the mind just messes with you.
1: Yeah. So, I can relate to that prior to, um, you know, my meditative practice that that. That would definitely happen. You know, there'd be something at work or whatever, a conversation that didn't go the way that I wanted it to. I didn't handle it very skillfully. And, and then you're guilting yourself. And I got myself into this problem. And, you know, it just it it can really spiral. But you're right. I mean, uh, you know, so that's when that what am I doing right now? Why am I doing it? And do I care about this? That those first three questions can break those cycles.
0: Mm. What if you do care about it though?
1: If you do, then the pause and breathe comes next, Mm. you know, allow a better solution to come in that pause and that breathe gives that space
0: and the space is so important. Yeah. Something that a lot of people don't talk about is, is the emotions. We talk about thoughts all the time, right? The science of thoughts and how we're not our thoughts. Emotions are more powerful, I feel. You know, when fear actually pops up in the body or anger pops up in the body or guilt, (laughs) so are there techniques for releasing emotions? Because we might have something from twenty years ago just sitting there,
1: <laughs> and they and it inconveniently pops up at a, a time that <laughs> you you um you know you you would have preferred it not show up at this particular point in time. Uh, I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing, you know, so that I'll say, okay, I will handle this later, and then I'll sit with it in meditation and just feel into it, lean into that feeling and um what else do i need to know about this and i'll i'll just let it sit there and figure out oh well this happened you know x number of years ago and i'm still carrying this around you know and why why am i still carrying this around you know is there is there a purpose to having this particular emotion at this particular time what is my body trying to tell me right so yeah. Lis- listening, awareness. What was the term that you used instead of awareness? Watchfulness. Watchfulness. I like that. Yes. Watching what it is that your emotion is, is attempting
0: to get your attention mm-hmm. about. Is this how you stay grounded in the middle of chaos? <laughs> <laughs> That's the title of my first book. Yes.
1: Uh, that as well as uh, a true connection to the to the surface of the earth, you know, standing barefoot uh, on the earth when I needed to, you know, I was, I actually was living in a beach house. So I was walking the beach barefoot for a year of intense healing day after day after day. So yes, um, just feeling into my place on the earth in this time and understanding that I'm here for a reason, you know, that's my grounding. I'm here for a reason and I'm connected to the
0: earth. What is the, uh, the essence of grounding or earthing, getting your feet on the, on the grass or the beach?
1: You, you really have an energetic connection with Mother Earth. You know, we're, we are of the earth. Our bodies are of substances that came from the earth. And whether we recognize it as in that same form, obviously it's different. We're in a human form at the moment. The energetics of the minerals, the water, the atmosphere we're breathing in, they're all still of the earth. So getting back in touch with that basic essence allows you to release energy back to the earth through your feet, You can Mm. allow things to to leave your body that you don't need any longer. Um, Grounding brings you back to your body. You know, I lived many, many, many years in my head because it suited me professionally to be thinking and operating from that cognitive above. You know, if I could just have a head, I would be functioning just fine. But now it's attached to the rest of this. Yeah. What do I do with this? You know, not paying attention to my body. So, so being grounded brings you back body, mind, and spirit in the same location at the same time, which is really an essence of mindfulness.
0: Right. So where can folks buy your books and come say hi and learn more about you? So I, I am on
1: Amazon. You, you can find uh, seven mindful questions on Amazon right now. Um, the Seven Mindful Questions Workbook for the exercises and the meditations will is also it's coming it's with, at the editor. Um, if you purchase Seven Mindful Questions, you have a link to all of the meditations that are in the book that are recorded. That's all free uh, bonus for for purchasing uh, the book. Grounded in Chaos is also in um, out on Amazon. It's a highly emotionally raw, emotional story, I want to preface, you know, if you're not in the right mood to really read through something that is highly emotional, I I just want to put that disclaimer out there. You know, it might not be the best thing. You know, if you want something like a happy beach read, it's not that. Right. Um, I have a website, www.lisanezneski.com. It's L-I-S-A-N-E-Z-N-E-S-K-I. And that's usually where I keep all of my, um, you can contact me through there. You can find out what's happening uh, as far as classes that I'm teaching or contact me if you'd like me to review your medications and supplements. So uh, yeah, that's home base for everything.
0: Great. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you today.
1: You too. This was enjoyable. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.